Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What does it mean to have a golden life? What does it mean to have the perfect life? That's something every person, every family gives some thought to or a great deal of thought to through the course of their lives. I know we begin by trying to get our children in the best schools, get the best education, study and make the best scores on either the ACT and SAT. We try to make them well-rounded, excel in all sorts of civic areas, either in the play or with social responsibilities, good athletes. We work very hard so our children are good soccer players or tennis players, baseball players, football players. We have goals and benchmarks for all those things as we're children, for our children. Then as they go off to college, child takes on their own being. They begin to ponder what vocation they're called to, where they see their perfect life being lived. And they study very hard in college to try to be the best they can be, to try to get a foot up, a leg up on the competition. And then once they're in their career, you try very hard to reach the pinnacle of your career, whatever it may be. You try very hard to be as successful as humanly possible. And in that, you set other benchmarks or have other visions or marks of what this golden life would be. A family, a house, security, all these things. Your life is filled with setting goals and achieving them, of having visions of what ideally life should look like and then reaching it. And that goes all the way to retirement. I want my retired years to look this way. To have a house paid for, to be able to travel, to be able to spend time with grandchildren, to be able to give to this or that organization. So our lives are spent constantly contemplating and trying to envision ideally what a career would look like, ideally what our family should look like, ideally what advancement in our life should look like, and finally ideally, ideally what retirement should look like. There's an image. And society, especially in our American society, promotes that image of the perfect family, of the perfect life, of the successful life, the golden life, as it were. The world is full of signs of what it means to be prosperous, happy. But can we be deceived by sight? Can what the world shows us as happiness and prosperity, the perfect life, the golden life, be something else? Now, I spoke of him or quoted him last week, but I'm going to do it again this week. J.R.R. Tolkien certainly thought so. In his Lord of the Rings trilogy, he writes this poem. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. This passage today from St. Paul got me thinking about the Yorodivi, 
or holy fool. This is an occupation or vocation within the life of the church where one becomes homeless, becomes a wanderer, where one intentionally acts foolish in the eyes of the world. Who would look around at American ideas of success and prosperity and make fun of them, would look foolish compared to them. The most famous of those, St. Basil the Blessed, was born in Moscow in the year 1468. As a child, between five and seven years old, he apprenticed as a shoemaker. Not a bad living. But somewhere in his teenage years, he had an epiphany moment. He had a revelation where he saw what the world considered as perfect, as successful, as golden. He saw it as rotten. So he stripped himself naked, weighed himself down with heavy chains, and began to wander around Moscow and beyond. And he would do foolish things and get into foolish antics. He would go into the middle of marketplaces, and he would shoplift in the sight of miserly merchants. And he would give the goods to the poor who were begging to prove a point. He did things like that all the time. He would go up to places like taverns, embrace them, weeping weeping for the souls of those who were in there. And he would do this day in, day out. Till finally, people began to see something of holiness within him. They began to not see him as fool, but as a holy fool. He predicted the fire in Moscow in 1547, and through his prayers it is said he put out a good deal of that fire. And he began to be seen more and more as a holy man but still, in the eyes of the world, a fool, a wandering fool. He was so foolish in the eyes of the world that at Divine Liturgy one day, he was in the presence of the Tsar Ivan the Terrible. Now, Ivan the Terrible did not get his name because he was a gentleman. Ivan the Terrible did not get his name because of his care for people. He got his name because he was terrible. He was very difficult in his treatment with others, with the innocent. And one day in the divine liturgy, Basil, the holy fool, stood up naked, weighed down in chains, and told Ivan the Terrible, pay attention, yelled at Ivan the Terrible in the middle of the congregation, in the middle of the divine liturgy. He also condemned him for being so harsh on the innocent, for being so uncaring. So here this fool stood up and confronted and rebuked one of the more difficult characters and the most powerful character in Russia. Ivan did not kill him. Rather, Ivan's heart was softened by his foolishness. At the end of Basil the Blessed's life, Ivan was actually a pallbearer, helped bury him. And he was so moved by the rebuke and by the life of Basil, the holy fool, that the cathedral in Moscow, or Ivan the Terrible built a cathedral in Moscow that bears his name, the Cathedral of St. Basil. Holy fool. This morning, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, Paul writes the Corinthians for the second time. And he's trying to instill in them a sense of hope for the resurrection, trying to change their behavior 
ensure and certain confidence of the Lord's resurrection. He's trying to instill with them change in their lives. And he goes about that in two ways. Begging them to live in the love of God and then reminding them of the fear of the Lord. He does this two ways. He tells them we're to live in fear of God and for the love of God, basically. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. So our lives are not without use. Our lives determine our afterlives in many, many ways. What we do now matters. What we do on this earth counts. What we do on this earth determines what we do in the next world. So he tries to remind them that it's a message of hope that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and if you stand in the face of the world as Basil stood in the face of the world you stand in certain hope and with joy before our Lord. They got me to thinking though about goals and benchmarks. Basil had one idea of what it meant to be holy. The world has another idea of what it means to be successful and golden. So I have a few questions for us. And I'll give you the example of the cantaloupe. Now I know very little about cantaloupes except for every once in a while I'm to go to the grocery store and pick one up and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination an expert on cantaloupes. There's a certain firmness they're supposed to be, a certain color, you're supposed to be able to thump them. But I know if you don't get it right you can cut them open. They look fine on the outside but rotten on the inside. It's the same with our lives. They can look fine on the outside rotten on the inside, decayed on the inside because we haven't lived a balanced life. We haven't lived a life for God, towards God. So I give you some questions. Is spiritual maturity a consideration in your goals and dreams? I know as my family works out soccer schedules and homework schedules and where we see ourselves and where we see our children, we have to force it in there. It does not come naturally to the ways of the world. We have to put time aside. We have to make time. We have to make space for that because the world does not consider it. But does your family? Is spiritual maturity a consideration in your goals and dreams? Do you see yourself at retirement only in a certain house with certain things being able to do what you wish to do? Or do you see yourself attaining a spiritual maturity at retirement as well? We have an ideal of what our careers should look like, of what our family should look like. We have ideals of a lot of things. But have you ever wondered what an ideal prayer life looks like? Have you ever wondered, do you have a vision in your life for ideally what your life of prayer should look like, you and your family? Have you ever thought of that? If you haven't, you should. And what do you do to work towards it? Do you consider maturity? And a life within the church is an important part of your life as well. Where do you, as you have goals for everything else in your life, do you have a goal for where you see yourself in the life of this church? Do you have a goal for seeing yourself in 10 years, how you support the church, how you support our ministries, how you're active in the ministries, how you will give yourself to this church more and more as years go on? Can you envision, do you have a picture of what spiritual maturity within the life of this community looks like? If you don't, you should. Do you have an ideal vision 
for what your life should look like in regards to the poor and those in need, in regard to the ministries that are needed in this community and in your life. Can you picture ideally what you should be doing? And are you working towards it? We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And as Christians, that should comfort us. But if we care not for our prayer life, if we can't even imagine what it, ideally our prayer life should look like, if we're not working towards a goal, both ourselves and with our families, it might be scarier to stand before Christ. If we can't imagine what a mature life in Christ, what a mature spiritual life looks like, if we have no vision of how we should give ourselves to this church more and more, both in support and in presence and in ministry, we need to. Take to heart the words of J.R.R. Tolkien. All that is gold does not glitter. And not all who wonder are lost. The world looks at Christians many times just the way the world looked at Basil the fool. They see us as foolish and without value. The things we work and try our hardest to kindle here, to instill here, to build here, to mature here, are not valued at all in the world. The world might look at, at us as we are hopeless wanderers and lost like Basil. But if we focus, if we have an ideal of what our prayer life should be like, if we have an ideal of what a mature life in Christ should look like, and we work on that, as that becomes part of our goal and part of our vision, then our holiness from undertaking these exercises might even soften the heart of someone as hard as Ivan the Terrible. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.